0: There's a moment in history this weekend. 105 years ago, in 1918, on the 11th of November, at 11 o'clock in the morning, after four years of a brutal war in Europe, in the Middle East, in North Africa, called the War to End All Wars, or the First World War, 17 million people, both combatants and civilians, died. And the guns fell silent at 11 o'clock that morning in most of those places. They called it Armistice Day, and it was called that for some time, and it would be commemorated. But in 1954, Congress passed a bill to call it Veterans Day, honoring all the people who had served in our military and defense of the country. Young 18 year olds stand up in this country and they raise a right hand, and I 1890, whatever it is, raise your right hand and say, I promise, I pledge, I covenant to defend an idea, the Constitution of the United States, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And the purpose of Veterans Day, according to this bill from Congress, is a celebration to honor Americans' veterans for their patriotism, love of country, and willingness to serve and sacrifice for the common good. So on this veterans weekend, if you have served in any capacity in the military defending the nation around, I don't care if you were a clerk or a cook or in combat, I don't care, all of that counts, right? If you've ever worn the cloth of the nation, would you stand so we could honor you? Just stand where you are so we can honor you. It was a bright sunny morning, January of, of uh, 2016, that my son-in-law Van Clements from Eugene, Oregon and I stepped into a cemetery in Cairo, Egypt. Not just any old cemetery, it was a British military cemetery. It was kept so well it looked like people had cared for the graves and trimmed the lawn with scissors. We were looking for one particular grave. For a fellow named Oswald. Oswald, some of you know his last name, Chambers, was born in Aberdeen, Scotland in 1874. That's way up in the north of Scotland. He gave his life to Jesus at age 15. He had moved to London. I don't know if he went there by himself or whatever, but that was Sherlock Holmes, London, 1889. He was there. He gave his life to Jesus He had a love for art, he was a tremendous artist, a wonderful musician, he could sketch your face or he could play Beethoven apparently equally well. He was a Renaissance man, thought art was gonna be his life, that's where, so he went to University of Edinburgh, Royal School of Art, but after a time, sensed a vocational calling to what we would call ministry today and he moved from Edinburgh, over near Glasgow in the entrance of the Highlands, a little town called Dunoon. Uh, he did various jobs while he was there, apparently one of which was helping a bachelor farmer named John with his sheep. So he was a shepherd while he studied Scripture in this Bible training college where he was. And he said, apparently, something like this, you can learn a lot carrying a young ram that's smelly and filthy on your shoulders down from the highlands. You can learn a lot about life and God and so forth. He stayed at that school and was a lecturer for nine years, and he began speaking in various places and made friends, and he was invited various places. He was invited to America in 1908, and he got on a ship, and there he met a a young woman. Apparently, there had been some finagling behind the scenes by mothers, it happens, and she was on that ship. Her name was Gertrude Hobbs, and they met and fell in love and he married her in 1910. I understand that he, that he proposed to her in St. Paul's Cathedral under the big stained glass door, but he didn't call her Gertrude. He, he dubbed her beloved disciple. She had the same heart he had. And for short, he called her B.D. and that became known as Biddy. And all of her married life from then on till she died, she was Biddy Chambers. She. Uh, She took shorthand. Anybody remember what shorthand is? Shorthand is that thing that they used to do back in the day where you could take notes with a particular skill. And she was very, over 200 words a minute. That's faster almost than you can speak. And she would take, and she wanted to be the secretary or admin as we would say today, to the prime minister of England. She became a court reporter. They married in 1910 and they started their own training school in a house in London. The school in danoon had been small. They never had more than 25 students a year, but it was a very special place for four years. And they, they did their teaching over meals. I read that years ago and I thought, man, if my education had occurred over meals, I'd be a way lot smarter than I am now. I mean, you know, you c- food and faith and knowledge, you know, it's a cool connection, right? They did that for four years and then World War I started in 1914. And by 1915, he was feeling, Oswald was feeling like he he wanted to be involved in some way ministering to soldiers. And so he signed up as a chaplain with the YMCA under contract with the British Army. Ended up going to a place called Zeitoun, Egypt, and that following, in a couple of months, his wife, Biddy, and their young daughter, Kathleen, came to be with him, and he threw himself into his wartime work. One of his big things was doing Bible studies for Australian soldiers, they say. He made it one year. He went in 1916 and he made it one year. And I'll come back to that in a few moments. The thing about him, the thing about them, everything that I've read over the years, is that these were people who had learned the power of all in. People who had learned the power of what it means to be all in. And that's where we pick up Jesus' story in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark this week. Mark the 12th chapter. It's Passover week. Passover week was that that, uh, in-gathering festival, the barley harvest historically in Israel. But because of its because of the meaning in their religious system of the exodus, 1,300 years before when Moses went down and led all those thousands of people out of Egypt. It was a celebration of freedom in the exodus. So Passover festivals, and the Jewish folks had plenty of festivals, Passover was the biggie. Passover was this huge thing when tens of thousands of people would come to Jerusalem. I mean, can, can you feel it? <clears throat> can you feel it with me? This is Fourth of July and Christmas and Thanksgiving and any other thing you with God and miracles at the center. This is — and the streets are crammed with people. You can see the colors. You can smell the smells of animals and sweaty bodies. You, you have this c- — just just cacophony of sounds. People selling wares and all of that. And they're soldiers, of course, they're under the thumb of Rome. So there's special security soldiers on every corner. They have ramped up security in, back in the day. And there are thousands of people camped on the hills around Jerusalem. And Mark's story in chapter 12 finds us with Jesus in the temple. The temple's out on the southeast corner of Jerusalem, which is up on a hill. Right, overlooking thing, and without going into all the details, there had been two or three temples, and but over hundreds of years they'd been destroyed, and Herod, uh, forty-six years before, had sort of, uh, this is probably the wrong way to say it, wanted to kiss up to the Jewish populace, wanted to hook them, right? And so he said, we'll rebuild the temple. And he was into opulence. So you have this temple that's got gold and silver and marble. For, and it's, the temple itself is not so big, but the courts surrounding it, acreage around it, where, where buying and selling took place, where teaching took place, all of the, that's where Jesus finds himself. There was one gate, it's called the Eastern Gate, that I understand had had doors that were 75 feet high, I can't understand a door that big, I need to go back and read that again, but they were covered in Corinthian brass, which was almost more special than gold, and when the sun came up in the east, it would hit that door, and somebody said it was like two suns coming up at the same, so you're overwhelmed by this whole thing, and Jesus is in the courts, and he's teaching, and you're teaching with questions. I mean, on Sunday, he had come in, we call it Palm Sunday. On Sunday he had come in and he was hero Messiah. On Monday he went in to where they were selling stuff in the temple and he knocks over the tables, takes them. This is not baby Jesus meek and mild. This is Jesus with, with uh, cords in his hand. He's knocking over tables. People are cussing him. You can hear the sound of doves flying around and coins scattering across the floor. And then Tuesday he does things. This is probably Wednesday. And he's been there teaching and responding to questions, back and forth, questions, that's the, that's the Jewish way of teaching. There were trap questions for him, we've heard about that, like, do we pay taxes to, Caesar's, to Caesar, you know, you get caught either way, or what about marriage in heaven? What if this guy had, seven, you know, all that stuff. And then this happened, Mark 12:28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Of all, no, you have to understand, there are 613 laws, right? All kinds of laws, civil laws and hygienic laws, and of all the commandments. And it was the deal to, you debate, which is the most, which is the weightiest, you know, it, it, we, we talk about some things being weighty like precious metal, like gold by weight. Which is the weightiest law? It seems like an honest question. People have been trying to trap him, get him in a corner, mess him up. Seems like an honest question, and it's it's a question that is what is life all about question. It's what is the main thing question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And as a title for my thoughts today, I've just said the very best question. This is the very best question anybody could ask. And he responds, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel. Listen up, it means to hear or listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you were to come with me today, to Mexico City, to Edinburgh, to Leningrad, to Kiev. if you would come with me to Munich or to New York City or London or Paris or Denver, where you would find a Jewish person, they would know this answer. They would know the answer to what's the most important one. Because in the, in the Jewish religion, it's called the Shema. The Shema is, it means to hear or to listen, and if you were to go to a service somewhere around the world in a Jewish context, it would be done this way. It would cover the eyes and you would sing it. This may not be the exact tune, but something like this. Shema Israel, Adonoi, Eloheinu, Adonoi Echah. The Lord our God, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a bedrock statement of faith. It's where you start, it's foundational. You know, somebody says, well, are we gonna do that basic thing? Is this gonna be like A, B, C? This isn't basic. There's a difference between basic and essential. Nobody says, you know, I'm, I'm gonna grow up and get past that need for air thing, you know? When I'm mature, I won't have to breathe. No, no, no. This is a breathing statement here, okay? Then any religious Jew, at least twice a day, every day, would say, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echaz. And the, the actual confession found in Deuteronomy 6, which has already been referenced this morning, is longer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them, catch this, you shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And I'm saying, really? That's kind of over the top, isn't it? I mean, it sounds like any place you go and whatever you're doing, you got this peace right in your brain and in your heart that there is one God. And they're in a context of countries where there are lots of gods. You've got the sun God and the moon God and the river God and the yucca God and whatever. That rocks, all that sort of thing. Some nations had their own God. And what this is saying is, forget that, there is one God who did the whole thing. And that's your God. And the listeners know this. The listeners know the answer to this question that has been asked. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's interesting that when Jesus says it, he puts mind in there. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. But let's, let's go back to Hero O Israel just for a moment. It says, I shall love the Lord my God, there, there's, this, there's this starting place that's foundational for everything else, and if i made in his image, that makes sense. In essence, he's saying, this is how you're, this is how you work, okay? And, and, and he's saying, think on this, reflect on this, ponder, I love that word, ponder this. Today we would say, well, drill down or unpack it or whatever it else, is. But, but of all the commandments, which is most important is the very best question. If you had a chance, just off the top, if you had a chance, and I'm not asking you to respond, I'm just asking you to think. If you had a chance to ask Jesus a question today, like these guys, what would you ask Him? I don't, I don't mean the question like you asked Him this week when you had a little kerfuffle and you're saying, what's going on here? I don't, don't mean that like that question. I mean, what would be the question? This would be a good one, again, to ask this is not a reactive question. The Shema is a preface to loving God and loving our neighbor. And th- what's interesting to me about this is that four times these two words are used, your and all, with you love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. W- what is all of me? You know, I'm, we're complicated people. Each one of us is uniquely complicated. And you know, I see some people punching it. That's you. You know, I, I I get that, right? But all of my affections and desires, all of my intellect, whatever that is, all of my inmost soul, all of my efforts. This this is a clear, concise statement that cannot possibly be misunderstood. Can, it can't. It can't be misunderstood. You might not like it, but it can't be misunderstood. When I, when I became president of a small college years ago, the dean at that time, a friend named Charles Pace, was a PhD in business communication. And one day I was trying to write a business letter to somebody, and he said, President Foth, um, you, you don't need to write that letter so it can be understood. I said, what? He said, you don't need to write that letter so it can be understood. I said, what do you mean? He said, a business communication, a business letter where you got money on the line, when you got relationships on the line, should not be read, written so it can be understood. It needs to be written so it cannot possibly be misunderstood. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and love your neighbors. You cannot misunderstand what he's saying there. So here's, here's my first thought, see? There's one God, he's yours, you love him with everything you have. Here's my first thought. We are built to carry out the great commandment. <clears throat> we are built to carry out the great commandment. Tuesday, September 11, 2001 is a day that most of us will never forget if we're old enough. It was a pristine September day in D.C. I was at a a gathering, a a breakfast with a variety of ambassadors and other people, and somebody came running out of the kitchen about 9 o'clock saying something terrible has happened in New York City, and you know the rest of that story, but we got up from the table and went into the library of this old estate house across from Georgetown University, across the Potomac in Washington, D.C., and I'm standing next to an ambassador from a large North African country who came to this breakfast, wasn't a believer in Jesus, but he came to this breakfast, he said, because he was addicted to our friendship. And we watched as that second plane hit the second tower and Idris was his name. Idris said, oh my God. And he ran out, got in his car and his driver took him back to his embassy. It was his president that called President Bush that day from that part of the world. First person to call and say anything we can do to help. And we didn't have good relationships with his country necessarily. But as we stood there through the day and watched the the horrific scene of mass murder on television, as buildings collapsed and people trapped, throwing themselves, you know, even when I say it, I hate to even say that, but there were two calls going up from those upper stories in that building, or maybe not just the upper stories, two calls going up that day. One was, God help me, and the other one was, honey, I don't think I'm going to make it. I love you. Tell the kids I'll always love them. What 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 that day for me the great commandment shifted in my mind. There was a sea change, if you will, in my mind. It it isn't just a commandment. These it's reflex. Those are the two places we go when we're up against it. God help me. Or you help me. This. You know, we, we live in a culture that does a lot of this. We live in a culture that does a lot of that. And here's the God who comes along and says, why don't we do a lot of this? Why don't we say, God help me and I love you. I love you and I love you. I don't know how all that works, but I'm gonna keep working on it. And so we're built to carry out the great commandment because to, to follow a command, I have to have the ability. And that day, I understood that it's God's design for me. That day for me, the great commandment became the great design. I'm designed to love God with every fiber of my being. I have receptors, I have synapses, whatever, spiritual synapse, I don't know how it all works, but I'm designed to do what's being asked of me there. I mean, think of it. Scripture says it's not good that man should be alone. I'm not designed to be alone. I need you. I need him. And God's saying, well, you're not designed to be alone, so how about starting here? Start with me, okay? Go there. Just just this thought, and I I think I got this from Oswald Chambers. I've been looking for it again. It isn't my goal. You know, I know there's the Great Commission, going to all the world and teach and preach and baptize. But before that comes the Great Commandment. It isn't my goal to take the good news to the whole world. Sounds like heresy, doesn't it? That's that's not my goal. My goal is to love God with all of my heart and all of my being. His goal is to take the good news. So when I get close to Him, I start picking up on what He's about. That's what we call God's will, right? And you know this, when you make a friendship, some of us have been mentored by an older person along the way and we start hanging out with this person and we start sounding like that person. We start adjusting our priorities because they do certain things and we want to hang with them so we go do certain things. That's all God's saying is this is who I am, get to know me, continue to know me, you're designed to know me in every season of your life. Whether you're a squirt of six years old or whether you're a teenager saying who in the world am I? Or whether you're my age saying who in the world am I? Whatever it is, my goal is to know him, to be with him, to obey him. When I make that the goal, the process of loving my neighbor happens on the backstroke. It's the very best question. Some of you say, well, you're you're just playing with words. That's just semantics. Maybe. I don't think so. I'll let you worry about that. How I see it is if we get first things first, everything else happens the way it should happen. And it's happening at the same time, isn't it? It isn't just I do this, then I do. It's happening always at the same time. So, and, and so the guy who asked the question says, well said, teacher. The man replied, you're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is Passover. They're sacrificing lambs by the score all around these people. So when he says that, it's cool. But I, I love this part of the story because here's this guy who has no clue who Jesus is or what's gonna happen in the next two days. Two days from now, he's not gonna be in the temples, he's gonna be outside of town, pinned to a Roman cross like a butterfly up against the, the skyline in the worst possible death that the Romans could divine, could, could design, kept for servants and for criminals. Two days from now, that's where he'll be. And this guy says, you got it right reminds me of when I was 18 year, years old, and I was a little like Chambers in this way. He started at University of Edinburgh, then went to this little Bible training school. I started at Cal Berkeley and then left and went to this little Bible training school. And there was a very learned man. He was, well, he was ancient. <laughs> I was 18, he was, I think, 62. And. Uh, <laughs> One time I was in the car with him, and I had learned something in a class, some prophet. I don't know, Zechariah or Joel or something from the Old Testament. I learned this little thing that was passed. And I turned to him and said, Dr. Riggs, do you, have you ever heard this? And I said this little thing. That was so basic, so, and, and he was so kind. He didn't look at me like I had a third eye in the middle of my forehead. He just nodded and said, you know, I believe, I believe I have heard that. That's a." That's really kind of, and he, here is this guy looking at the creator of the universe who speaks galaxies into existence saying, you got that answer right, it's good, yeah. <laughs> when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, and here he flips the script, you are not far from the kingdom of God. It's an ambiguous statement, scholars don't know exactly what it means, and it goes on to say, and from, from then on no one dared to ask him any more questions, and again, it's ambiguous but, so here's, here's my final thought, it's this. The greatest challenge for me of this, the Shema and the, and the great commandment is this, it's one word, all. How do we do that? How do you do all? I mean, love is the what, that's what I'm supposed to do. The, the point of, of connection is God, that's the who. But all is the how. How do you do that? When we went to D.C., Ruth and I were fifty years old, and um, and we said we don't know anything about this political military stuff going on here. We know about pastoring a bit, know about college work a bit, but this is a whole new, we need mentors. And so somebody drew the short straw, and there was a couple three or four years older than we who had been in this work a long time, and they became our mentors. And every two weeks for an hour or two, we would get together with coffee and croissants and we'd talk about the work and how things are going. But somebody would bring a thought, somebody would bring something from Scripture, and for maybe 20, 30 minutes we'd talk about that. And one day Kay Hodling, who was the wife in this situation, she was an artist. Like, like Chambers, she was an artist, and she said, you know, I read this text and I asked myself the question, how do you do all? Whatever the gift or skill or calling, whatever it is you and I have, how do we do all? And her comment was this, my experience with people is that those people who do something in a half-hearted way are always tired. And people who do things all in may be tired, but it's on the back end and it's a good tired because you've done this thing with all of you. You've thrown yourself into that moment or into that task or into that journey. My goal at my age is not balance. Well, it's a little bit because you get out of balance, but you know, you gotta hang on. So I'm sure glad this is here. You know? but, the, but it isn't balance. I'm not into metrics or percentages or odds. I want to be 110 percent. I want to say, you know, we saw all kinds of football games over this weekend. And so often they'll interview the coach and say, "What what do you think about Harry Jones over there, the tight end? He said, this kid wants to learn. This kid is first to practice, lastly, this kid leaves it all on the field. I wonder if one of the questions may I hope the statement might be well done good and faithful servant at the end of one's life but what if the question was so folks did you did you leave it all on the field There's something about that that captures me I love the story of a missionary back in the late 1800s maybe about the time that that um, Chambers was in London 1889 Sherlock Holmes era maybe Maybe it was about that time, but back in that day when people went to hard places in in missions, they packed their belongings in coffins because they knew it was a one-way street. And this young man went to the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. It was cannibal territory, and nobody had ever survived there when they went. But he did, for whatever reason, he did. And for 35 years, he labored on this island in this village. And when he died, they buried him in the village, and they put up a marker that said, When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. That's what I call all in. And when you're all in, the effect of you goes beyond your years. One more thought about Oswald Chambers. This photo is Oswald Chambers in 1916 in Egypt. He lived in Egypt with his wife Kathleen, or with his wife Biddy and his young daughter Kathleen for a year. October of 16 to October of 17. Mid-October of 1917, start getting severe abdominal pain, but he didn't go to the doctor. He he didn't want to take a bed in the hospital, in their tented hospitals, because he didn't want to take the bed of a of a wounded soldier. But he waited too long and finally they did a, a emergency appendectomy at the end of the month, and he was doing okay, but then something happened and he got a blood clot in his lung, and he went home to Jesus on November 15th, 1917. He was 43 years old. He was buried in Cairo in that cemetery with full military honors. After his death, his wife Biddy, beloved disciple, the court reporter, transcribed all of his teachings, because she would sit down in the front and just take down what he was saying. Transcribed all of his teachings into pamphlets, I think somewhere over 30 things. But his most well-known one that many of us might know was a daily devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. Comes in all kinds of forms. This happens to be one that I got some years ago. And And you know, some of his, some of them are deep. I mean I read it and then I read it again, and but it helps me because one of his biographies said when he was a young kid he was a joker. So that helps me when I read this, just to have some balance. But his thoughts. This daily devotional was published a hundred years ago, 1924, translated into 39 languages, and in a hundred years it has never been out of print. All in. This isn't about being a preacher or a clergyman. or but This is about being a cabinet maker and being all in. Driving a truck and being all, it's not just about your skill set, it's about your heart and your direction and how you see God and therefore how you see people. So my question in closing is this. We couldn't, he couldn't have guessed or planned this. He thought he was going to be an artist or a musician. He did not know when he was 15 he was going to marry a court reporter who would write. It, it, you know, you don't have a clue about that. But we've been given the capacity to obey the great commandment. We have the stuff, the wiring to go all in. My question for you today, it's just a question, I'd like you just to ponder it, to think about it. Where in my life might I be holding back? I'm good here, I'm all in here and I'm all in there and i but is there a space or a place that when I talk to the most High God, I say, Lord, would you show me? Because I don't want to miss a beat. I don't want to miss an opportunity. I don't and at seasons in my life, I know I've held back. I know it. I didn't you know that that those two or three years, I, I, you know, if I could get them, but I can't. My affections, my intellect, my gifts, Lord, show me that place. I give it to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. There may be some in the sound of my voice who've never given any consideration to God at all tried to be our own gods, all of us have. But on this day, on this Veterans Weekend in 2023, that person would say, well, I'm willing to consider him. I'm willing to consider that God. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to do that. But as we look at our years and our lives and our future, Help us to think deeply about what you called us to do. That is to love you with all of our being and our neighbors as ourselves. And we're grateful today for that opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said amen. Let's stand together and worship with the band. I'll be back in a moment. big band today. Let's bless them. They bless us. Thank you, friends. God bless you. Our prayer team is coming. There's some of us who walked in here with a weight. And we say, you know, I know the Lord's with me, but if I could just have that person sort of be God with skin on them this morning just to have a prayer with me, just a thought that would be great so as others leave if you want to come spend a few moments here that would be wonderful as you go this week a lot of times i say you know we want you to be light in a dark place we want you to do, but i would like to consider you scattered throughout larimer county and weld county and up into cheyenne and you folks online and wagadougou africa whatever this week let's think about being part of the all-in gang shall we do that Let's ask the Lord, show me, show me how to do that. God bless you. If you're guests, I'm going to be back there with a couple of other pastors. Even if you're not, guests swing by. Catch you later. God bless. Bye-bye.